Open your Bibles this morning to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. I hope you'll not forget Psalm 110 that I have read in your hearing this morning, and you've read in my hearing. We've read it together. The Lord said unto my Lord. Amen. We believe the Holy Scriptures. We believe their word perfect. That means that Jesus can pick that up in Matthew chapter 22 and argue from the single word, Lord, from that psalm. Just as he picked up the word God's in John chapter 10 and verse 35 and argued from that single word. Just as the Apostle Paul in Hebrews chapter 12 would argue from three words, yet once more. In Hebrews chapter 12, just like he would argue in Hebrews chapter 8 from one word, new, and that it is called a new covenant, that must mean the other covenant That's is right. old. Amen. We believe the Word of God, and it's so blessed this week to know that there are others that have believed it just as we. It's a blessing to know that, and it's also humbling because it means the Lord doesn't need us. Right. He's always had His people. Amen. We don't want to be like Elijah thinking that we're the only ones left, and if it weren't for us, truth might die in the earth. Because as he told Elijah, I have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Amen. Amen. I want you to look in Malachi chapter 1, the last prophet of the Old Testament. I want to look at verses 6 through the end of the chapter for just a couple of minutes to introduce my subject this morning, and that is the Lordship of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Is Jesus Lord? Amen. Do you live like He's Lord? Are you paying attention right now like He's Lord? Amen. Or are you paying attention and living and listening as these pitiful saints of His in Malachi chapter 1? I want to read verse 8. All of it is good. I'd like to read verse 8. If ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person? Saith the Lord of hosts, how are you worshiping God this morning? Are you bringing something lame? Are you bringing something sick? Are you bringing something blind to the Lord? Or are you bringing a sacrifice worthy of the Lord of hosts? I have told you in the past, I think I've just did it recently, that if you were invited to be the guest of President George W. Bush, the pains that you would take to prepare to meet him are almost unimaginable. You would be gripped with such a privilege, and you would be gripped with fear of conducting yourself well. You wouldn't sleep. You would make sure that everything was appropriate to meet the president. And who is the president? But a man that's in an office by popular opinion. And not even that. And I do not say anything disrespectful of our president, but in comparison to the Lord of hosts, 
He's nothing. What are you, you going to try? You going to try a sacrifice like this in the governor? You going to come slopping in there to the president's office when he wants to meet with you, and after a few minutes, be worrying more about other things going on, looking around the office, worrying about what's going on outside the door, thinking about what you're going to do tomorrow? I don't think so. I don't think so. And the Lord doesn't want us to worship Him that way. That's verse eight. I want you to come down now to verse 13. All of this is good. Verses 6 through 14 are all wonderful. Verse 13 says, Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness is it, and ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And ye brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord. They called it a weariness to worship the Lord. Is there anyone here this morning, even eight-year-old girls, children, is there anyone that said this morning in their hearts, to the, in the least degree, oh no, we got to go worship the Lord again. We got to go to church. We got to go to church. That is blasphemous thinking. That is wicked thinking, vile thinking, profane thinking. Do we have to go to church today? I wish we could sleep in. You wish you could sleep in, huh? He's the Lord of hosts. What a weariness is it? And you've snuffed at it. We've sighed. We've snorted. We've made it a light thing to worship God. We're not treating Him as He is Lord. Look at verse 14, and here's what the Lord has to say to any of us that would ever come before Him without a whole heart, eager to worship Him. Cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful, among the heathen. His name was dreadful among the heathen, but it wasn't among his own people. The Philistines were afraid of him. Who's read the book of Joshua recently to read about the city of Jericho? They were petrified of the God of Israel. They trembled before him, and yet the Israelites weren't. He is a great king. Cursed be the deceiver. All of you have just sung six songs that you are not ashamed to own your Lord, nor to glory in His cross. And I have sung it with you. We have made a vow before the Lord with our singing of how much we love Him, and we believe that He is our Lord. I chose those songs. I know what they all said. I knew that before I came here this morning. That's an advantage I had over you. But when we sing those songs, we vowed. Now what are you going to live like? Here's a man who has a male in his flock. There's a male sheep. He makes a vow to the Lord. And the Lord grants him his petition. And he brings a lame, torn, and blind female. Do you know what God has to say to him? Cursed! 
be the deceiver if we don't give him everything we have. Cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male and voweth and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts. And my name is dreadful among the heathen. I want to ask you this morning, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Now I can tell you that he is. Because he's the Lord of heaven and earth. He owns you. And he does with you as it seemeth good to him. He created you for his own pleasure. He created you with all those deficiencies you think you have so that he could keep you humble. He has caused the circumstances in your life that you dislike. He has brought them about. He is your Lord. But I want to ask you this morning in your heart, have you chosen to make him Lord by humbling yourself before him and falling upon him and giving him emptying yourself of all that you have are and think that he might be all in all. Because that is what we ought to do for him. Anything less than that is not good enough for he is a great king. He is a great king and his name is dreadful among the heathen. Is Jesus Lord? I want you to come over now to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. For those of you who wonder where to read sometimes, you may read Malachi chapter 1, the whole chapter. It's easy to understand, and it will tell you about your great king. Let us be no deceivers in here. None. Do you know what a deceiver is? He's a hypocrite and a liar. He's got a right hand of falsehood. He sings along with us. That he loves the Lord Jesus Christ and he calls him Lord, but he doesn't do what Jesus Christ said. That's a deceiver. We owe him everything we have. I don't have an effeminate message for you this morning. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is very masculine. He is man with a capital M. He's a man, Christ Jesus. I have no effeminate message for you. I have no instruction from the Word of God to beg you this morning. I have instruction from the Word of God to command you this morning to humble yourself before the great God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and to fall upon Him and be broken. Oh, so much better to fall upon Jesus Christ and be broken than to have Him fall upon you and grind you to powder. Oh, grinding is a slow, tedious process. But when it's done, you're nothing but powder. And the Lord Jesus Christ will do that to all of his enemies and to everyone that does not love the Lord Jesus Christ. Let there be an anathema upon him. The message of the word of God hasn't changed from the Old Testament to the New. Cursed be the deceiver, Malachi 1.14. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Cursed of God. 1 Corinthians 16.22. There is no difference in the Testaments as, as how God treats those who mistreat Him and who do not serve and worship Him as Lord. You don't have a light duty or privilege before you this morning. There's nothing light about it. This should be the most important thing we do. 
And it's not something that we just do on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings. This is something we do every day of our lives, every minute. Every word that comes out of our lips ought to be governed because the Lord owns them. And we want to please Him. And His eyes are in every place. And His angels are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Everywhere we go, He sees and He knows. He is our Lord. It is a shame. We have embassies in the earth. Did you know that there are many American citizens working for embassies and our State Department in other nations, far away from home and far away from our ruler? And yet they are faithful every day. They faithfully discharge our nation's laws and policies in those foreign countries. Even though they are bribed, tempted, they are faithful. We are in a foreign country. We are in this world. And we have a king. And we cannot remain faithful to him. Why? What is our problem? We don't see him enough as Lord. For I am a great king, he said. Cursed be the deceiver that makes a vow and has a male in his flock and brings me anything less than the best. Are you giving him everything you have? Everything. Is Jesus Lord? The Son of God, our Redeemer, had several names and titles. Joseph was told in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 to name that boy that Mary was going to give birth to Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Mary was told the same thing in Luke chapter 1 verse 31, call his name Jesus. That name was given by God. That name was common among the Hebrews. But that's his personal name. That is the personal name of the man, Jesus of Nazareth, who lived 33 and a half years in this world, was born of the Virgin Mary. His name was Jesus. His geographical identifier was of Nazareth, because there were many with the name Jesus. But this was Jesus of Nazareth. That is what was posted on the cross on which he hung to redeem you from your sins. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews in three languages. When Jesus appeared to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, and Paul said, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the man Christ Jesus. Oh, brethren, I know I've told you this before. I'm going to get to you. But let's think about the devil for just a moment. I've told you this before. This is phenomenal, brethren. Michael the archangel doesn't dare bring a railing accusation against Satan. Michael the archangel. But I want to tell you that God has exalted Jesus of Nazareth far above Satan and all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named in this world and in the world to come. That's how high he is. Jesus of Nazareth. Satan hates him. Satan does not want you to know him. Satan does not want you to serve him. And there is a war going on right as I speak. You are think, you are being tempted to think about other things. Satan does not walk in here with a red robe. Satan comes to your mind and says, read another section of scripture. 
Look in the hymnal. Think about what you're going to do tomorrow. Think about what you did yesterday. Think about what you're going to do this afternoon. That is how Satan works. If you haven't prepared yourself for this, to come and worship Jesus Christ, you are failing. And Satan will win because you must resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He hates Jesus of Nazareth because how could God? He wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to be like the Most High. But God took one of us, a man, and exalted him far above all principalities and powers. And do you know what Satan is going to have to do? He is going to have to bend his knees and bow to Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. He hates him. Everything that can be done subtly to steal you away from the lordship of Jesus Christ will be done by Satan. He doesn't mind if you believe in Jesus because that Jesus is his Jesus. He doesn't want you to believe and to fear and to tremble before and to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. There is another Jesus. It doesn't say there is another Lord Jesus Christ because there's only one of him. He's Lord. What did the devils all say when they would meet Jesus when he was here on earth? We know who thou art, the Holy One of God. What didn't they call him? Lord. What will they call him? Lord. Praise his holy name. They're all going to call him Lord because he's been exalted at the right hand of God. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Jesus of Nazareth. His official title was Christ, which means the anointed, which is the Greek, a Greek word for the Messiah. In John chapter 1, verse 41, and John chapter 4, verse 25, we can see that Christ is the same as the Hebrew word brought into Greek, Messiah, which is for the Hebrew word Messiah, which only occurs two times in your Old Testament. It's Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. Seventy weeks were determined upon the people of Israel until Messiah the Prince. And oh, isn't it amazing that the very first time that we see Jesus being called the Messiah in Daniel 9, the whole rest of the world almost, except for a small minority, believes that that 70th week is not here yet. But I tell you, the Messiah has been here, and He is seated at the right hand of God. He is the Christ, the anointed of God. The anointment meant He's had oil poured upon Him, and He's been put in an official office. It's His official title. He is the Christ. He is the anointed of God. He is the successor to David. He is the promised Shiloh. Christ. His positional and descriptive title is Lord. Because that describes how we are to treat him and how he is going to treat all of his enemies. The word Lord is a master or a ruler. It's a master of servants. The Lord is one who has dominion over others as his subjects. I like that definition. The Lord is one who has dominion over others as his subject or to whom service and obedience are due. A master, 
a chief, a prince, a sovereign. That's what the word Lord means. Jesus, call his name Jesus. The angels told Joseph and Mary, Jesus of Nazareth. We call him the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know why? Let me show you something. He died. Jesus died on the cross. We all believe that. We should love that. That is the greatest transaction ever occurring in the universe. Jesus dying on the cross. This week we found, thanks be to God, a little token of kindness toward us. A Baptist minister from 1647 writing a book entitled Justification by Christ Alone. The subtitle of the book, That Your Faith Has Nothing to Do With It. Amen! Justification by Christ Alone. A foreword written by another Baptist minister who says that your faith is not a joint partner with Christ in justification. He made those words up in 1647. Your faith is not a joint partner with Christ. It's all of Christ. He hung on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth did. But when he went into that grave and came out three days later with the power of the Spirit of God, raising him out of that grave, giving him, renewing and keeping and restoring and blessing him with the dew of his youth forever... He set him at God's own right hand. And here's what preachers of the gospel get to tell you. Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Amen. What did it say on the cross? Jesus of Nazareth. A simple, his simple personal name, because there was his humanity hanging on that cross. Jesus of Nazareth. He willingly laid down his life for us. He humbled himself to the death of the cross. He let the Father bruise him and crush him under the load of the guilt of our sins. But God raised him from the dead and said, Sit thou at my right hand. Therefore let all the house of Israel and all the house of the Gentiles know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucified. What did he make him? Two things. Lord and Christ. He is the anointed of God and declared and shown to be to the universe by his resurrection and his exaltation and ascension and glorification at the right hand of God. But brethren, he's made him Lord. He is the sovereign of the universe. God has raised up a man to be the sovereign of the universe over all elect angels and over all fallen angels, over the highest principalities and powers and dominion that are in this world or in the world we can't see. He's over them all. Jesus is Lord. And there it is. God hath made that same Jesus both Lord and Christ. I want you to learn and I want you to think That when you address him, you use the words, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not wrong to use the word Jesus. You go in the book of Hebrews where Paul is writing to Jews. He refers to him that way many times. But that's a rare book. Because most of the time that the Apostle Paul refers to the Son of God, he refers to him as the Lord Jesus Christ. And he puts both of those titles with his simple name of Jesus. Show him his lordship. 
Let the devil be reminded of his lordship. Invoke the greatest name there is, the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. That's great grace. Don't, Don't let the devil confuse you. Don't you be confused. And don't let others be confused around you by using merely his simple name as they do for their faults, Jesus. Call on the Lord Jesus Christ. What would Jesus do? Oh, so much better to say, the Lord Jesus Christ demands this because he's Lord. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Is this word Lord important? Or is this word Lord just a formal sort of vain title of address because at the time the Bible was written, they addressed each other as lords and ladies. Is that why we have the word Lord? No. I want to show you what I referred to when we looked at Psalm 110. I want to show you that Jesus would argue from that single word a point. Matthew chapter 22. Some of you already know this before I turn to it. The rest of you need to be grounded in this. So that you don't lose it, forget it, and you can live by it. Verse 41 of Matthew 22. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? What do you wise and learned doctors of the Pharisees think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David, because all they were looking for was a natural king to come and deliver them from Rome. How pitiful. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? Saying, and here's the quote from Psalm 110, the Lord said unto my Lord. Look at your King James Bible. Does it have the caps and the small letters in the proper place? Amen. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? You love that? Amen. Do you see that the doctrinal argument here by the Son of God himself is the single word, Lord? Now, what if the Old Testament had said master or son or something else? Jesus knew and you know because you hold the scriptures in your hands that can be trusted. We have the scriptures. We can argue from that single word, Lord. That word, Lord, is not a mere title. That word, Lord, is not a vain form of address like lords and ladies. That word is a sovereign, is a ruler. How could David have a son that would also be his Lord, Jesus is asking. They couldn't answer. Verse 46, And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions, because he just shut their mouths by showing the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God and man in the flesh together. Great is the mystery of godliness. Who can answer it? We just believe it. We can't explain much about it, but we believe it. And it's a great mystery. And it's a mystery that needs to be proclaimed. God was manifest in the flesh. 
Jesus is Lord. Amen. He's David's Lord, even though he was David's great-great-grandson. Turn now to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Those of you who know your Bibles know exactly where I'm going. Those of you who should know your Bibles need to learn where I'm going. The rest of you just turn. I hope that everyone is in the first two categories. And after we turn this time, shouldn't that be enough? From now on, you're going to know where we should turn. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. After having described the death of our Lord Jesus Christ in verses 5 through 8, the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2.9, Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted Him. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Highly exalted Him. And given Him a name which is above every name. Amen. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth, and things under the earth. That doesn't leave a whole lot out. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. That is the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. And when we say, Lord Jesus Christ, and we say it with meaning, and we say it with submission, do you know what? We're, we're already doing this. We are already confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father every time we say the words, the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. We're doing it all the time. But oh, there's some spirits and there's some men who don't want to do that. They don't like that full phrase. Love that full phrase, brethren. Right. Use that full phrase. The Lord Jesus Christ. Come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians 12, 3. Wherefore I give you to understand. He's going to teach us something. Paul is, that no man, speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Do you realize what a blessing we have this morning? That for us to be able to say the words, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to mean them, and to live according to them, is only by the Spirit of God. Amen. People want to know, how do I know that I'm walking in the Spirit? One way to start is right here. Do you love the name, the Lord Jesus Christ? Right. Can you say it and mean it? That He's the Lord Jesus Christ to you. Do you want to live it? Amen. I want to live like Jesus Christ is the Lord. It is by the Spirit of God. It is the great divider. What will you do with Jesus Christ? What think ye of Christ? Whose son is He? He's David's Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ. What happened when Isaiah saw him? Isaiah chapter 6. In the days of King Isaiah, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. What happened to him? 
Woe is me. Woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips. Are there other men in the Bible that had unclean lips? Woe is me. I'm in trouble. I know that as well as anyone in here. The things that can escape the lips of our sinful flesh before our spirit and soul can get them back and pull them back in and bury them and destroy them. And Isaiah saw Jesus Christ high and lifted up in His glory. John tells us that he saw Jesus Christ high and lifted up in His glory in prophetic view of the Son of God. Woe is me. Do you see Jesus that way this morning? When you look at Jesus Christ, you saying, Woe is me for this in my life. Woe is me for that in my life. And want to confess those things to Him. Admit that He's Lord and change your life. What did John do when he saw him? Now, John was his best friend. Can we call John his best friend? Jesus loved John. John would lay on the Lord Jesus Christ when they ate. What happened when John saw Jesus in Revelation chapter 1? He fell at his feet as dead. Because Jesus is Lord. He's been exalted high. He's been glorified. And to see him now was nothing like John had ever seen before. John knew him intimately. Three and a half years resting that close to him during meals. Wouldn't you say that was a pretty close friendship? But when he saw him glorified as Lord, he fell at his feet as dead. Because you go to Revelation 1 and you see that picture and you realize that Jesus Christ is one glorious impression. Right, man. There's a controversy today. I've told you about this before. It's so funny. But there's a great controversy in Christian circles. In order to get people saved and into heaven, do they simply need to invite Jesus into their heart as Savior? Or do they also need to confess Him as Lord? Oh, it's a huge controversy. Many, many men on both sides of the issue. Because if we're going to get people saved, I mean, if we're going to get them saved, let's not put too much on them. Let them just invite Jesus into their heart to be their Savior. That way we can get more of them. If we're going to have to preach His Lordship, they're going to have to give things up. It'll cut the numbers down. Let's think a little bit. Did you learn anything last Sunday night? Acts chapter 16. Amen. Here's a pagan, depraved, Roman, who was just about to kill himself, the jailer. If he wasn't a Roman, he was a Macedonian, we're not told. But he was in a Roman jail working for the Roman magistrate. He was going to kill himself. What must I do to be saved? What did the Apostle Paul say? Invite Jesus into your heart? Listen to the words, my brethren. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. You give me a man who wants to be a husband and a father and have that man believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, with works following. We have a salvation, a great salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's Lord. Notice, you say that word was just a title. No, it wasn't a title. Jesus argued from that word Lord. Jesus Christ was Lord in an order 
to humble yourself before the Lord and to obtain the blessings and the hope and the peace and the joy of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, you have to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And you have to live like it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's gospel salvation. It's us humbling ourselves before the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when I say gospel salvation, I'm not talking about your regeneration, your justification, or your election. I am talking about your conversion from a hopeless, godless outlook on life to one of eternal glory, seeing Jesus Christ as the King of kings and His Lord, and living for Him, and having peace and joy in your heart, and being saved from all the delusions and the wickedness and heresies of men. Amen. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Most deny Him as Lord today. What is sin? Sin is an act of treason and rebellion against Jesus Christ. Because he's Lord. God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And to sin is a high act of treason and rebellion. And what's he going to do with his enemies? He's going to fill the places with the dead bodies, according to Psalm 110. Sin is horrible because it's a an overt, express, outward, objective act of rebellion against God and against His Son, Jesus Christ. If He's Lord, how can we sin? I'm not preaching the perfection of the saints prior to our resurrection, but how can we sin? Because when we sin, we're just thumbing our nose at He who is far above all principalities and powers and who owns you twice. But we live in a generation that is filled with rebellion against him. When we talk about the word backsliding, that is sliding away from Jesus Christ being Lord. That is mouthing his name. It is what we live in today, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Do you know how many in this city at this hour are singing using His name in their songs? Do you know how very few of them would ever take a stand on His Word? Very, very few of them. This is not an us-against-them sermon. This is to remind you that carnal Christianity is rampant in our country and it can affect, infect us and affect us as fast as anyone. And Satan would love to have us mouthing the words, knowing how disgusted Jesus Christ is with us for mouthing the words of his name and his titles and not living accordingly. And we live in a city of them. We live in a nation of them. Look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, 
He said, and why call ye me Lord? See, it's that word Lord that I want you to think about. Is Jesus Lord? Is Jesus Lord? Is he the sovereign? Is he the king? Is he the master, the ruler of your life? Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. What is your life? Is your life a house that is built securely because you have dug down deep and laid it on the bedrock of Jesus Christ is Lord? Is that your house? I don't just mean your family, but I mean your own soul. Your soul and your house. Have you dug through all the earth, the loose, tumbling bits of sand and dirt, and got down to the bedrock, Jesus is Lord, and built your house there. My life is on a rock. Can you say that this morning? How do we know that? How do we know if your house is built on a rock? It's very simple. Do you do what he said? Do you do what he said? Today, people don't want to do what he said. They want to get together and have a great celebration in the flesh. Religion today is so much geared to the flesh. They want to make unregenerate people happy and fill their churches with the unregenerate. They want programs and methods and market research to find out what the people want, but they don't want to hear what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? What are the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ about sodomy? Do they want to hear that in this country? No way. They're even trying to outlaw it being said. But does Jesus Christ have some wholesome words? And if anybody's thinking, no, it was the Apostle Paul. Listen, are you that confused? All the words of the Bible are the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where do you think Paul got them from? And where do you think Moses got them from? You say, well, Jesus wasn't around the day. Then you haven't read your Bibles very well, because the Bible tells us that before Noah was in the ark, Jesus Christ was preaching by the eternal spirit to that generation through Noah. That's in 1 Peter chapter 3. All the words of Scripture are the wholesome words of our Lord Jesus Christ. But they don't want to do what he says. The wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ are that adultery deserves death. Are those wholesome words? Do we fear before those words? Do we believe those words? Do we humble ourselves before He that is Lord and say that sex is owned by Jesus Christ. What I am trying to teach you today is this. Jesus Christ owns you, and Jesus Christ is Lord of every part of your life. Jesus Christ is Lord of sex. He dictates when and with whom and how you're to have it. Is He Lord? We're finding out very quickly, aren't we? And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? 
Jesus has said things. If he's truly Lord, if he's really king, we're going to do everything he says. There are citizens of our country in other places being sorely tempted with money, with women, with other temptations who have a manual produced by our government that tell them how they are to conduct themselves in that particular nation. And they are faithful to it. They'll lay down their lives for it. We have a manual from Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Lord, on how we're to conduct our lives while we are away from His heavenly kingdom in this world. We are strangers and pilgrims here, but I ask you, how faithful are we being to His manual? Because those are the ones that are serving Him as Lord. our pitiful government more faithfully than we serve Jesus Christ the Lord. Right. May God have mercy on us. But what, he, what I really pray that He'll do is that He'll convict all of our hearts this morning right. to serve Him more as Lord than we ever have before. Right. That we'll love the words, the Lord Jesus Christ. That we'll want to read the manual of the King. For I am a great King. And cursed be the deceiver that hath a male in his flock and bring something else. Do you do what he says? What about his word? We love it. We talk about it. We get and we read books about the King James Version being God's preserved and inspired word in this late day of 2001. But when we open its pages and we see that it tells us to train our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, do we do what it says? When it tells us to set no wicked thing before your eyes, do we do what it says? When it says to redeem the time, do we do what it says? When it says to love the brethren, do we do what it says? When it says to forbear and to forgive one another, do we do what it says? It's our manual from our great king. Cursed be the deceiver that comes in here and sings with us that I will not be ashamed of my Lord and then go out of here and not do what his word says and not want to often turn the pages of this manual to find out what further things you can do to please your king and to find out in these precious pages more of the glory of your king because this king is able to hear all of your prayers and your songs and he loves to be praised. Amen. But he loves our obedience more than his praise. Saul once thought that he could offer praise to God with some stolen Amalekite merchandise and our Lord Jesus Christ in Jehovah God said to him 
that his sin was witchcraft and rebellion. That to obey is better than sacrifice. That is how we show Jesus is Lord, by obeying. And you know, the more we'll humble humble ourselves before Him, if we will fall on Jesus Christ this morning, if we'll fall on Him and believe that there is Jesus Christ of Nazareth at the right hand of God, and He is indeed Lord and He's Christ, and He is the most important being in the whole universe, and He is indeed God, and He is indeed our Creator, and He is indeed our Savior, and that we owe Him everything. If we will fall on Him and be broken that way, Lord, save me, help me, deliver me from the wickedness of my heart, help me to live holy and solely for You, I promise you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, He will send His Spirit to help you do that. But if you do not fall on him that way this morning, if you go out of here thinking about your ridiculously stupid life, and I'm sorry if that sounds offensive, but if you go out of here worrying about the vanity and the vexation of your ridiculous little vapor, he's going to grind you to powder. And it is a slow and tedious process. And it's painful. We have a choice this morning. And you know what the answer is? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the answer. Do you love your Lord this morning? It's not enough to say, Lord, Lord. Many are going to say that to him in the last day. It's not enough to say it. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. That's the man that has shown that I'm his Lord. That's the man that's showing the work of the Spirit of God in his heart because he's obeying me as a Lord. Turn Turn to Romans 13. Romans 13. Brethren, where are we holding out? Where are you holding out in your life? Is it with your spouse you're holding out to protect your ridiculously infinite, your ridiculously pitiful little heart? Are you holding out to protect your little heart? Jesus Christ has already ruled. You're to be giving your heart to your spouse. You're not to be protecting it. Give it away. I'll take care of you, he says. Women, are you having a hard time submitting to your husbands? Are you having a hard time doing it cheerfully? The Lord only wants your submission one way, with zeal and a smile. Nehemiah was petrified because one day he came into the courtroom of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and he was not smiling. And he knew that that had the penalty of life and death attached to it. Why was Nehemiah so frightened to enter into the courtroom of Artaxerxes without a smile? And women don't want to submit to their husbands when it's a king far greater 
than Artaxerxes that has said, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands in everything. That king said, Wives, reverence your husbands. That king said, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. That king said that we're not to defraud one another. That king said that we are to guard our lips and let our speech be always with grace, only seasoned with salt. These are the rules and many more of our Lord Jesus Christ the King. Are you concerned about them? Why was Nehemiah frightened? The power of life and death was there. But our king says, fear not them which can kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. I'll tell you whom you should fear, he said. He said, fear him which hath the power to cast both body and soul into hell. Amen. You say, is it that important that I submit to my husband? It is absolutely that important. He said, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. That's what that king said. Are you having a hard time honoring your father and your mother? I mean setting them up and esteeming them and respecting them and loving them and doing things for them and showing that they are little gods in your house? Are you having a hard time doing that, children? It's his commandment. And he's such a gracious king, he's attached a promise of blessing to it. Honor your father and your mother. There's so much I want to say to you this morning. I'm going to have to defer much of it. Do you know what it says? It says, children, obey your parents. What are the next words, brethren? It's my whole sermon to you. Children, obey your parents. What are the next words? In the Lord. In the Lord. In the Lord. Do you know why? Because child obedience is a rule. From the Lord Jesus Christ. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Because by obeying your parents, you are obeying the Lord and you are keeping His commandments. And thereby we know that we are of the truth. Thereby we know that we are His. And thereby we truly do love and know the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 13, 14, in verse 13, it says, Let us walk honestly as in the day. We've been saved, brethren. We are in the day. We are not in the darkness and the night of this world. Not in rioting and drunkenness. Not in chambering and wantonness. Those four words can be interpreted by one modern word. Partying. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in partying. Not in strife and envying. Which the spirit that is in us loves to do those two things. Striving and envying. But put ye on Jesus wristbands but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof there it is brethren but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ that means to walk through life as if the Lord was there at all times always the Lord is there brethren can we do it will we do it every word I have a greater problem than any of you. My mouth speaks so fast sometimes. My fingers type so fast sometimes. I'm thankful that I can get those words back before I click on send. But here, I can't do that. 
but I am going to do it by the grace of my Lord Jesus Christ because He is my Lord. And I want to own Him as Lord more than ever before. And I want you to do the same. How about my thoughts? No one knows your thoughts. But the Lord Jesus Christ knows every one of them. He knows the thoughts and intents of your heart, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. There's another satanic delusion, taking Hebrews 4, 12 and making it this book. Who in the world's afraid of this figuring out your thoughts? I'll tell you someone to be afraid of, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows every single thought and intent of your heart. When he'd sit at dinner with those Pharisees and they'd start reasoning in their hearts, it was all just blaring in his omnipotent, omniscient soul, everything they were thinking. Is he Lord of our thoughts? Is he Lord of where you're going to go this week? What you're going to do? What you're going to touch with your hands? Is it someone of the opposite sex that you're not married to? Don't touch them! Is it thoughts? Are you going to allow fantasies? Fantasies of wickedness? You mean you're going to think about rebellion and high treason against the Lord Jesus Christ? That is all a fantasy is. It's high treason against Christ. And you're thinking it, and as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he in the opinion of this king. Your thoughts are the same as actions. Any of you that sit around in your self-righteous arrogance and think, well, I've never sinned like that, you're sinning like that in saying that. Because that is pride. That's the devil's sin. All those thoughts, are we going to bring them into captivity to the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. What are you going to look at this week? What are you going to watch on that television? What magazines are you going to look at? What ads are you going to linger on in your newspaper? What billboards are you going to linger on on your way up 385? What customers? What secretaries? Everything we do, brethren, is naked and open to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not a burden. What I'm telling you this morning is I'm giving you a charge. A charge and it's not a burden. It's a blessing to know it and to hear it. Amen. You should be thankful you're hearing this message. Jesus Christ sent me to tell you this message. Right. What if he had left you without hearing it? What if you were in the congregation of the dead someplace, living a carnal existence, mouthing the words, Jesus Christ. He's loved, he has loved you and he has sent me to tell you this. I know that. I know that from these verses. I know that from 1 Corinthians 12, 3, that I want to love Jesus Christ as Lord more than ever before is a blessing by the Spirit of God and God's pure mercy toward me. And I'm excited about it. And I want you to be excited. And I know I sound angry because I'm, you know what I'm fighting against right now? I'm fighting against your flesh, the devil, and this world. And I've got one hour. And you're going to go out of here and turn on your televisions or your radios or a cassette in your car and you're going to see all that crap that's out there to pull you away. I am no different than an ambassador assembling the staff of an embassy in a foreign nation and telling them there's going to be temptations out there on that street. They're going to try this and they're going to try that. This is what our commander-in-chief has told us to do. And it's a manual of the State Department of the United States. But I don't have that. I have something far better. Amen. I have the inspired Word of God from heaven itself. It's reserved in heaven forever. 
Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. I close with Colossians chapter 3. I'll be back, though. Amen. Colossians chapter 3. This is the whole, this is the whole thing right here. You're getting the... Brethren, he could have saved us and taken us straight to heaven. Regeneration and glorification could have been synonyms. He didn't do that. He left us here for a reason. He has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and translated us into the kingdom. What word did I just use? What word did God use? The kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Are we going to live for our King? Amen. Today, tomorrow, are we going to live for our King? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. For He is a great King. Cursed be the deceiver Amen. that has a male and offers anything less. Look at Colossians chapter 3. All of you have to go to work tomorrow? Here you go. Here are some words from your King. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Servants, Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. That verse is from the king on how you go to work tomorrow. Everything you do, every time you touch the hand truck, every time you make a sandwich, every time you answer a network problem, Every windshield you put in. Every programming question you have to answer. Do not do it to please men. You are serving me. Do it to please God because you fear Him. Right. We don't do it for both either. We do it to please God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily. What does it say? It's my whole sermon. As to the Lord. Amen. Is Jesus Lord? He is indeed. As to the Lord and not unto men. Look at what verse 24 offers us though. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. Now if that doesn't get your blood pumping, I mean your spiritual blood. If that doesn't get your spiritual blood pumping and you want to go to work right now. Because you want to go and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever you're going tomorrow to work. Those little monsters that are going to come. Sister Jody. You're doing it for the Lord Christ. What an opportunity. He has saved us and He's called us. Is Jesus Lord. Will this congregation of any on the entire earth be a living example that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Christ? That is my prayer. Amen. Amen.